a, he's also a former commando. He's a millionaire who made a great deal of money in the um, highly competitive, fast-changing, high-tech industries. Uh, however, he is a member of a coalition, and more than I believe Netanyahu ever was, he is dependent on coalition partners. So it'll be a very interesting time of change in Israel. He, so- he sounds, the way you describe him, he sounds like a very charismatic figure. I think that's a good good term to use. He He's good on TV. He likes to do it, as do most politicians. But unlike some politicians, he's very good at it. Uh-huh. And he is increasingly active in international media. Um, <clears throat> some commentary that I think is quite insightful about his current position underscores that Israel has moved beyond the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. From my uh, own biased point of view, I think it's a challenging time for U.S. foreign policy because we do not have the kind of influence and dominance in the region that we once had. Mm-hmm. And that okay. reached a pinnacle, I think, during the administration of George H.W. Bush. I want to go to Karen Singerman. Uh, Karen, <clears throat> now you joined us from Los Angeles this evening. Thanks for being with us. Uh, Great to be here. Thank you. You have been, as I recall, you're kind of been a big fan of Benjamin Net- Netanyahu. Uh, and I know it's very, very early in this transition, but uh, do you have any uh, comment on the, on the new uh, leader of Israel? Change is difficult. This one scares me. Um, Netanyahu has led Israel through a lot of great transitions, all to the good. I am a little concerned between the the new Israeli administration and the new American administration what's going to happen with the Abraham Accords. So many huge strides had been made under President Trump in the area of peace in the region, not the least of which was moving our embassy as other administrations had pledged to do and as Congress had voted to do, moving it to Jerusalem as the Israelis had wanted. So, you know, it is early. I'm concerned, but change happens. So many great strides had been taken before, and I hope that they are continued. Julia, a challenge to the Democratic Party, because there are those now within the Democratic Party that question uh, our closeness to Israel uh, more so than in the past. So as a longtime observer of uh, Democratic politics, and you know the the ongoing battles within uh, for the heart and soul of the Democratic Party, does this coming at this time, does this create a new challenge uh, for President Biden to deal with a, a new player that you, you know, he doesn't know yet. Well, the Jewish people have been one of the most persecuted people throughout many millennia. Um, and the Israeli state is no longer the vulnerable, abused population that the Jewish people throughout time have been. And the Israeli state under Netanyahu has become an abuser of Palestine. And it is extraordinarily complex, extraordinarily complex, of course. And many before have attempted to fix it. But I think that what is awakening within the Democratic Party now is a recognition that abuse will not be tolerated wherever it's coming from. And it's unfortunately, um, it's very, very difficult to 
speak badly of the Israeli, the current Israeli government, if you're not also careful to, in the same breath, speak support of the Jewish people. And unfortunately, many in very bad faith accuse people of being anti-Semitic if they make any criticisms whatsoever of the current Israeli government. Okay. Uh, Chris Ferronis, who's to say uh, there uh, aren't some okay. anti-Semitic attacks coming from within the Democratic Party, perhaps, but the vast majority of the criticism of the Israeli state is not anti-Semitically based. All right, I want to go to Chris Veronis, uh, who uh, is an observer of world affairs. He's been on this program for many, many years when we've been talking about uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, who's become uh, also a controversial figure in U.S. elections. Um, does that sound like a real strong defense of this new guy from uh, at least uh, Julia Klein's perspective as a Democrat? Um, I, you, you know, I, uh, I, I can't say I'm uh, a student of Israeli politics, um, c- certainly um, to match art, but um, instability is sort of part and parcel of Israeli politics. I mean, it's not unsurprising that they'll go through one or more uh, prime ministers um, with a vote of no confidence. Um, uh, the change is good. There's been controversy, um, corruption that's dogged Netanyahu, his son, for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you could say that uh, cha- um, he was up. Um, so um, more to come, and uh, hopefully there'll be a positive impact on Mideast peace. Um, we, we've inched closer and closer to uh, a conception of peace um, a long-lasting conception of peace with the Abraham Accords. And I, I, I think that's something to, to look upon where I think the world was um, surprised. Do you agree, uh, Art, with, uh, with, with Julia's assessment that, uh, that Israelis are, are viewed more as aggressors than they are as uh, uh, persecuted people? Uh, no, I don't. I think that in some fundamental way, Often, rather than inchoate and unspecific, the American people feel a strong sense of loyalty toward Israel. And I believe that's been the case since World War II, especially since Truman uh, recognized the state of Israel. Mm -hmm. At the same time, I think our diplomacy has been most effective, and I think we've made the most progress consistently. Uh, We've got to to pause. We'll let you pick that up when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly from Evanston, Illinois. Joining us this evening, 1-800-723-8289, 1-800-723-8289. Uh, I want to go back to uh, Karen Singelman. Karen, uh, one of the other, uh, there's so many other issues that we're dealing with right now, but uh, President Biden is going to be going uh, uh, to, uh, uh, he's been to the G7 for the last several days. Uh, he's going to NATO tomorrow, and then he's going to meet with Vladimir Putin uh, a lot of people who are at least from your side of the political spectrum uh, don't have much confidence in him. But how will you judge success or failure in the upcoming meeting with President uh, Putin of Russia? The entire everything about that question is so disturbing. Um, watching any video out of the G7 meetings 
um, where Biden is so completely out of his depth among other leaders. Um, any video of him is just shows a feeble, meek, incapable, sort of aggressive, and then retreating old man. I think having him represent the United States of America on the world stage is just a gigantic humiliation. How will he deal with Putin? I don't, you know, he'll deal with who, how whoever tells him to behave, well, that's how he'll behave. I don't think he has a clue as to anything that's going on. Um, it's the entire thing is, it's what, surreal what, uh, watching Karen, that Karen, man Karen, on be, be specific, when you say, he doesn't have a clue what's going on. Now, this, oh, this yeah. has been part of the, the Republican mantra during the entire campaign, that Joe Biden was out of step, he was out of touch, he was senile. But yep. my question to you, and I asked this of, a, of someone who made a similar charge last week, what specifically can you say that's, that indicates uh, to you and to the American people that Joe Biden is out of step or not in touch? Um. I would, oh, where to begin? Let me just start with what a racist he is. Let me start with his language regarding also, we're going to ask for you to speak up, uh, if you can speak up louder as well. Uh, I'd appreciate that. Pardon me? Speak up a little bit louder. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, where to begin with that? Um, I'll just start with his um, deep-rooted racism and how he sees all of us as being racist, but his racism saying, for example, that the reason African-Americans can't get ahead is, for example, because they can't find good lawyers and accountants. I mean, this is unbelievable. On, on and on, the words that he used to describe Obama and back in the day, his, uh, when he broke from his speech, giving an award to, to um, praise a little girl, or how sweetly she had her legs crossed. This is not a man in complete control of all his faculties, nor any sense of okay. propriety, stop, nor any stop, sense of stop for, stop for a moment. Stop for a moment if you can. I want to go over to Julia, because Julia, uh, you know, for the last year, you have not been the most supportive uh, speaker for Joe Biden. Uh, is there anything that Karen has said that you can acknowledge that you agree with her about? <laughs> Not a word. Um, Biden has, um, I, I'm much more pleased with Biden than I was expecting to be. Um, I thought that he was entirely too moderate, um, but he has just come out of the gate swinging and he has made great strides already with the stimulus package that he, that he, uh, that he passed. And, um, so many of his nominations. He's got the most progressive, most diverse, most talented uh, cabinet and administration I think we've ever had. Um, he's, you know, the, his Justice Department is not doing nearly enough to reverse the corruption and criminality and atrocities of the previous clown show. Um, and I'm concerned about that, well, and increasingly were there, so. Were, uh, Julia, but were there atrocities? Well, you know, jo, uh, Julia, <laughs> were there atro I'm looking at language here. Were there atrocities committed that perhaps the rest of us didn't see? I mean, I think you all saw the insurrection that was commanded by the former president. Oh, I'm sorry, that, Bruce. Can, please, 
I mean, most of the people you know what, arrested uh, folks, have told folks, prosecutors that they were they were told police. Excuse, I'm not listening hello, to you, hello. Capitol Police, because excuse I am here on the orders of my president. Uh, and I'm, oh, I'm and sorry. Karen, Karen, just, Karen one second, folks. Said they were there with the president. <laughs> It's very difficult because we're having major sound problems, and on a radio show, that's a problem. So I want to come back to this discussion on that particular point, atrocity and, and insurrection, uh, two interesting choices of words, both that have all kinds of combustibility around them. But I do want to come back to, yes. to Art Seer here in, in Chicago. As you look forward to not only uh, the meeting next Wednesday, uh how will you judge, as a, as a student of history, how will you judge success or non-success uh, when this meeting is over with I, Putin? Uh, I don't disagree with you, Bruce, and I'm not ducking the question. I don't think success or failure is a term that's likely to be applied to this summit. President Trump uh, criticized his own intelligence agencies and also... Um, uh, basically went along with Putin's theme that accusations of Russian hacking into uh, American election and other public processes was pure fiction. He did it while standing side by side with uh, uh, President Trump, and Trump basically concurred or seemed to. That's a pretty low bar. We're fortunate we don't have the Cold War anymore because the worst, the worst summit by far uh, involving U.S. and Soviet leaders was John Kennedy's disastrous meeting with Nikita Khrushchev in Vienna in the spring of 61. In fairness, and I have a strong desire for some reason to try to be nonpartisan, the Eisenhower disaster in 1960 in Paris, where Khrushchev basically walked out after the U2, U.S. U-2 spy plane had been shot down, and it was publicly mentioned by the Soviets. Uh, we, they had shot down several of these planes, at least in the 50s, but this was the first time they decided to publicly announce it. We don't, we're not facing anything like that today. I'm not ducking the question, but things are a lot more positive than they used to be. I realize we're in a partisan time. I've just been reminded of that. I hope that's responsive, but I don't think success or failures. I, I myself wish that the president were not meeting with Putin in the current environment, but I don't think it's something where those terms will apply. Chris, how would you, uh, how will you judge success? And by the way, you are not a Donald Trump fan. You still consider yourself a Republican. I don't think we've talked about what your interests in the future of the party are. Uh, we'll certainly have you on to do that some night. But um, what, how would you describe uh, success for the president against when he sits down with Vladimir Putin? Well, as a Biden critic, I think it's extremely important for the nation, for its future, that Biden gets this right. Um, I, I, I think um, a show of force. This is where the rhetorical presidency of the United States is extremely important. Um, we didn't have that in the Trump presidency. There were there were um, uh, concrete actions taken um, when um, Russia when there were incidents with Russia, we did expel their diplomats. That that was called for. But what was lagging was this rhetorical presidency. And that that came to the fore at um, Helsinki, where you had uh, a U.S. president doubting his own intelligence agencies and believing a dictator. So Russia under Putin is more or less a churlish, asymmetric threat to us. This whole business with um 
hackers that are receiving tacit support possibly from the from Russia or at least housed uh, in Russia with with uh, the government looking the other way, that's got to come to an end. Yeah, but Putin has said, uh, as recently as a couple days ago, he said that the exchange of uh, prisoners or those charged with those crimes could be exchanged, which is acknowledging that the United States may have been uh, doing something as well. I I think at the end of the day, uh, for us to uh, approach this problem in purely soft power, diplomatic way is going to fall flat. The only thing Russia understands is force. They understand embarrassment. Um, I think we've got to highlight the fact that as John well, what, do you, said, what, what do you mean by force? They, they, they what do you are, mean by force? They are um, a gas station masquerading as a country. And so when I say force, I, I mean um, sanctions. I mean uh, condemning them uh, when they do wrong. That's I not mean, force. Yeah, I mean, sure Condemning them? Sure it is. Absolutely, it did. Do you believe that is 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 condemnation? Is that is that real force? I know you're a diplomat, Art, but I mean, is condemnation of anything? Thank you, Bruce. No one's ever called me that. Well, but I mean, I I want you to tell me the truth now. Yeah, is that really is is that really force? Uh, Yes, in today's world, it is. I think Chris is absolutely right. Um, We can exert pressure. His reference to a gas station masquerading as a country. Russia has a very fragile economy, a very weak economy. It's very much a gangster culture. Uh, there's a lot going on that, in fact, Putin doesn't control. And I, I buy the point, I agree, that all this hacking is not uh, probably centrally directed from the Kremlin. We can, thanks to the integration of international finance and relative transparency, we can, in fact, impose sanctions on individual leaders. I don't think Putin's going to be unable to pay the next bill but uh, we can restrict their travel. We can exert real pressure in a way that was not the case during the Cold War. I want to come Chris back and right. get. I want to call. I want to come back and get guests for uh, reactions from our other guests to that about what is force. What can, what can we really do, and what can we just talk about? We'll do that when we continue. I'm Bruce Dumont on Beyond the Beltway. I'm so happy to be a diplomat. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. I say this is Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Uh, in case you just uh, tuned in. And uh, we are involved in an interesting conversation here this evening. We've had some technical issues, but we're going to take a moment and let each of our guests introduce themselves. And we're going to begin with our Zoom guests. Let's start with Julia Klein. Julia, tell everybody a little bit about your background and why you here, why you are here this evening, other than representing the progressive left. Uh, Hi, thank you for having me, Bruce. My name is Julia Klein. I'm a coach and author and podcaster. I write about power and abuse of power. My podcast is called Solving Me Too. It's about uh, solving workplace sexual harassment, discrimination, and assault. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, yeah, you have had me on the show a number of times, so I guess that you needed a head of flat slot to fill tonight. So I'm 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 I'm, uh, grateful to be back. Thank you. Well, we always have we always need a progressive slot to fill. Last week we had a problem. uh, Finding someone you had, you were busy, and a lot of the, our roster of uh, left of center guests were all busy. But it's nice to have you back, Karen Singerman. We uh, we've now gone back almost a couple of years that uh, we first uh, met. Uh, but tell everybody a little bit about you, who joining us from Los Angeles tonight. Yeah, it's been a lot of years. I was first on your show when I had started Rage Against the Media uh-huh. as a, a byproduct of Hillary Clinton's um, Benghazi yeah, okay. tragedy. 
And since that time, I've become president of an organization nonprofit in LA called the American Freedom Alliance. And we uphold the values and tenets of Western civilization and do our best to fight and inform about threats to to a Western civilization. And you are also an educator. You've, you've been in education in your background as well, and also you worked for the government at one time. I am. I was a scientist during the Cold War, as a matter of fact, talking about this during Reagan's um, buildup, helping to end the Cold War, doing anti-submarine warfare. Mm -hmm. I have a master's degree in international relations and a doctorate in education and American culture. Okay. And I was, I've been a teacher since about 2002 at okay. a whole lot of different grade levels and, and different topics. Very good. Another teacher we have here is a professor, Art Sear. Art, tell everybody a little bit about yourself. Uh, well, thank you, Bruce. I work at Carthage College, a very fine, small liberal arts college just north of the border in Kenosha, Wisconsin. I worked in Chicago for 22 years in nonprofit administration for two years in a very interesting and challenging and ultimately successful uh, uh, position running the World Trade Center in Chicago. And then before that, I was the vice president at the Chicago Council on Foreign Relations, now Global Affairs. And Chris Veronis joins us. Chris, tell everybody about yourself. I'm Chris Veronis, uh, principal of ESOP Communications Group. That's a public affairs, public relations firm. Um, uh, had a stint in Illinois politics, active in a nonprofit community, including uh, the Greek-American community. And uh, as as we look to uh, going back to the, the politics of this circumstance, situation, we had not heard from Karen or Julia uh, about the, the discussion of... of, of Joe Biden. And so let me go to you, Julia, first and, and pick up on uh, uh, where we were on that conversation before the break. So um, I, I think you need to give leaders uh, more rope, I think, when it comes to foreign policy than it does domestic. Um, it's it's more complex. There's more moving parts. Um, there's a longer arc, I think, generally. Um, I, uh, I'm proud to have Biden representing me um, as an American. Um, he's a dramatic improvement over what we just got rid of, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, the majority of the American people agree with that. That's why we got him. Um, well, and I, you know, we'll see. We'll see how he does. I, as I said, I'm, I'm concerned about some of the justice, what the Justice Department is doing. I'm also very concerned that we um, have, um, that we're not, putting constraints on what Israel is allowed to do with the money and weapons that we're giving them. Um, of course, and I, I, I did not assert before, I think that you maybe misunderstood what I said. Um, I don't think that the majority of the American people share my view, the view that I expressed. Um, I think that, and that's why, because Biden is basically a thermometer of the Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. He's, he's a, a adept at that. Um, and so the fact that he continues to be a strong supporter of Israel is a reflection of the fact that the majority of the Democratic Party continues to strongly support Israel. I think that that's misguided and increasingly you, so. I'm think, hoping that we're going to, you know, shed some light on that. Julia, follow up to you. Do you believe, however, that the increasing uh, criticism of Israel by some members of Congress, not just uh, the squad, but do you feel that that criticism has uh, uh, increased the ability of the Democratic Party to reach out to the Palestinian voters in the United States or those that don't like Israeli U.S. policy? And does it, it gives them certainly a voice, but it, does it give them any power at the moment to change policy? 
Well, the coalition within the Democratic Party that is speaking out most forcefully against the Israeli government and in defense of the Palestinian people is a coalition of the uh, traditionally most oppressed in this country. It is uh, African Americans, it is Native Americans, it is immigrant community, and these are people who have successfully, I mean, for decades been raising the alarm, but in the last couple of years have finally started to make some traction, some real traction um, in the modern era um, towards awakening the American people to the ways in which the things that so many of us have considered the way that we do things in America has actually been kind of abusive and harmful. And it's causing us to rethink a lot of questions of power and privilege um, in ways that aren't easy. They're certainly not easy. Um, mm -hmm. And those who are most well-intentioned among the Democratic Party are doing so in good faith. And there's not a desire to exact vengeance Although, of course, there are those on the right who okay. make that, that, right, that assertion, but let's, it's false. Let's let, you know? let's let the right respond to that. Uh, Karen Singleman, uh, <laughs> your your response to what Julie has just said, but but focus, if you will, on, on my initial question, which was, uh, has uh, have the voices uh, in opposition to Israel in the Democratic Party in Congress, have they, um, have, have they given more than just hope to the Palestinian cause? Or is there the possibility that there could be some significant change in U.S. policy because of their articulation of abuses of Israel uh, uh, or of, of abuses by Israel of the Palestinians? Um, before I picking do up address steam that, anyway? I just wanted the, the whole vengeance issue. Our cities were burned during last summer and Portland is still on fire by Black Lives Matter. Vengeance oh. has been gigantic. The 1619 project is all about vengeance. Just what I just, the idea that it has not been vengeful is just utterly preposterous. That's but a racist statement. One down second. in Los One Angeles second. because of Black Lives Matter, marching, vandalizing, burning, committing arson and unbelievable violence in our cities, literally, for vengeance, those words were used. So I just violence is from the cops. I'm sorry. No, no, I'm sorry. It's not. I live here. It is not the cops. The cops stood down, which is another horror. As to Israel and the Democratic Party, I don't see a whole lot of pro-Israel language out of the Democratic Party. I'm glad to hear you. You see Biden. Um, Bruce, as being pro-Israel, I see, you know, I, I really go back to Golda Meir's statement, there will be peace in the Middle East when the Palestinians love their children more than they hate the Jews. I think we're seeing that Jew hatred rise again. Um, the idea that the Israelis or the Jews or the Israeli state somehow is an aggressor state or an apartheid state or any of those things is horrific. And I think we have to be very clear very open, very honest I about it. And I'm very concerned that the Democrats, as Julia represents, um, aren't seeing things quite that way. Julia? I mean, I'm not surprised that she disagrees with me. She represents the party that is consumed I don't represent by a party. I represent my own opinion. So please don't hold me up as a representative of anything. No. 
whatever. You're, 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 you're somebody who has group. absorbed a tremendous amount of false propaganda. Uh, on the contrary, Julia, and I think you're one of the ones who skews it. So please stop accusing I me. I spew no propaganda. I, I articulate facts, factual information. The, the simple, uh, the, the fact that- I live here. I was on curfews because the idea of Black that was Lives not Matter rioting. Evidence that you do not apply by facts. There was an insurrection on January 6th. And if you reject I that, then you've been brainwashed by propaganda. I was there. At the Capitol? Yes. And so then you know how violent it was. On I part know of how not violent, for the most part, it was. And yes, did some people... Just because there was a few people picnicking doesn't mean that, that the 800 people that were violently storming the Capitol get a pass. Sure, there was a few thousand people that were there with their kids to picnic. Fine, whatever. It has nothing to do with the fact that there was 800 people with zip ties and who had been texting one another that were going here for a revolution with guns and we're going to hang Mike Pence. It was a it was an insurrection and they have been issuing death threats on the daily ever since then against election officials from Georgia to, to Colorado to uh, uh, Oregon to uh, and back again. And it's it's a, it's abominable. And, and the, the normal guy keeps uh, encouraging it. Bruce, that, I really, I have no interest in being part of the false lies being spewed. Julia, Julia, I can't Julia, be party to anything where this kind of thing is allowed to happen. I'm really sorry. I just, I can't. I just, I was there. I can't. I can't be party to it. So you if you're going to let her just you, go on, no, 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 no. I just, I want to, I want to, just a second, just a second, Karen. I want to clarify what you don't want to be a part of. And by the way, we do have two other guests on the program. I do want to hear them as well. And we'll do that when we roll on from Chicago. I'm Bruce Dumont. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org. Along the way is where we find the unexpected. Along the way is where we take in the scenery, and often where we have the most fun. Sure, along the way can be the place we stop to fill up or grab a bite to eat. But in Michigan, along the way becomes the place we've been longing for. Because enjoying the journey is always pure Michigan. Your trip begins at Michigan.org. Hello, I'm Bruce Dumont from Beyond the Beltway. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the broadcast this evening and showing your support of Beyond the Beltway for almost 41 years. Beyond the Beltway is brought to you in part by the Gab Radio Network. If you have production needs, a podcast, or are interested in hosting your own program, reach out to the Gab Radio Network. You can call them now at 847-292-292. 2721 or get in touch under the Learn More tab on their website at gabradionetwork.com. Ask for Dennis Green and tell them Bruce Dubon sent you. Thank you again for listening tonight to Beyond the Beltway and the Gab Radio Network. Radio that inspires. Yeah.
I say again, for those who are watching, uh, this is Bruce Dumont back, and uh, we're going to talk about Kamala Harris, who also uh, was uh, on the run this past week, uh, and I mean diplomatic run, uh, to, uh, uh, to Guatemala. Uh, and your reaction, uh, start with you, uh, Chris Robles, Verona, uh, uh, Verona's yeah. brother. Uh, tell us a little bit about your reaction to her trip. Were you proud of the vice president's trip? Um, not, not particularly. And I kind of saw it as, uh, her veep wimp moment. Um, the, the thing that dogged George HW Bush for the eight years when he was vice president, there's a perception that he was a wimp. He wasn't up to the task. He was a Yale legacy. Um, he was there for, because of patrician pedigree and that dogged him all the way up to the 1988 presidency. He had to win that presidency to overcome that wimp perception. It's clear now that with this incident, and if not this incident, perhaps the next one, that Kamala Harris has a glass jaw. She's not quite up to the job. Um, What do you mean by that glass jaw? Well, um, she can't take a punch. I think that was pretty evident um, where you saw some... um, uh, candid shots of her during the vice presidential debate. I mean, she was a deer in the headlights with with, with some of the arguments that Pence had. Um, she's well, got this nervous cackle that comes up when she's trying to fill in the sentence. But what with, about what she did in Guatemala? Well, what, what I mean, she I, I, what, what she what she did in Guatemala um, in many ways contradicts the message of Joe Biden when this uh, surge, the migration surge, started happening at the border. Um, Biden waffled a bit, um, but then he, you know, because pressure on the left, he said, you know, we're going to accept people. She said, please stay here. We don't want you. And uh, there was also a hat tip to the economic, social and political but she, conditions. But, but, but she didn't she didn't say we don't want you. She said, and I thought it was very clear. Don't come. Yeah. Don't come. She yeah. said that twice. Yeah. It, it you didn't you it, didn't need an interpreter for that I it, suppose you did but. it clashes with the the previous message of the president um, one and two um, she went further um, saying that the United States has to address the economic circumstances of the Golden Triangle nations I agree um, there's got to be a cutoff point to that um, you know there just happens to be a, a pretty record migration from Central African nations to the, uh, Central American nations. The, um, this migration is contributing to um, the, 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 this crisis at the border. Are we going to have to address the economic circumstances of Central African nations? Uh, so it's just... Uh, Art, uh, your reaction to uh, the vice president's uh, statements in Guatemala and also in Mexico, and also the broader, broader question that, that Chris brings up is... Uh, uh, how much money do we need in our foreign aid budget to deal with all of the countries that may need some internal repair to keep their people from fleeing their country? Well, the vice president has a very strong base on which to build, uh, and for that we can thank Richard Nixon, who cre- who transformed the vice presidency into an independent and potentially major office, and Jimmy Carter and Walter Mondale, who institutionalized and regularized the significant existence of the vice president such that since Nixon, almost every vice president, with the exception of Dan Quayle, is considered a presidential contender, and a number of them have made it. So she has a strong base on which to build. 
I agree with Chris. She doesn't do well under pressure. I remember one of the vice presidential debates out of nowhere. She was clearly rattled. She was clearly scripted. She started talking about Abe Lincoln and packing the Supreme Court when that mm-hmm. was the wrong line for that particular question. Mm-hmm. I'm not an admirer of hers, but she has an but opportunity, what, but what and she will, what ab- what about she will be a what contender. She will be a contender. I heard you. Good. Now, answer my question less historical. What did you think of her conduct last week in Guatemala? Be specific, be contemporary. To me, it was kind of like the summit question from you, sir. It's neither here nor there. I think we've got to address the border question. It's probably a good idea, given the importance of the presidency and the fact that this is a manageable problem. I know it's manageable because we've had it for decades, and America still survives. Okay. I, I think it's good that she appeared at the border. She didn't stumble as she has in the past. Okay. Let's go to uh, Julia. Julia, uh, once upon a time, uh, you you were very interested in perhaps having uh, Kamala Harris to lead the ticket, as I recall. But your reaction to uh, what she did in, uh, in, in Guatemala, and uh, did she send a different signal than is being sent by the president? Um, I agree with what you said, that her message, don't come, was clear and strong. It was the right message. And it is in line with the Biden-Harris agenda and the Biden-Harris administration's policies. Um, There are those who seek to pretend that the Biden-Harris administration has a different set of policies, but it's not true. Um, And we are on the very front edge of a global refugee crisis, largely due to wars and violence, but also due to climate change. And most Americans at this point feel shame about the way that we failed to accept Jews during World War II who were fleeing the Nazis. And we made that decision at that time, frankly, because of anti-Semitism, xenophobia, racism. Um, and unfortunately, I see that mistake being repeated today. And I hope that we learn the lesson Roosevelt from the past the reason because why we didn't globally, we're going to all developed northern, not hot countries are going to need to figure out a humane response to the people that are living in parts of the world and in countries and under governments that are rapidly becoming One. unlivable. Okay, we've conditions. got to pause. We've got to pause. Uh, Karen, I want to get your reaction when we continue on hour number two. Another full hour coming up. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Matt always knew he wanted to be a doctor. That's why he makes the most of every day. To study before breakfast, to work hard, to do whatever was necessary to achieve his goal. He found an answer in the military. If you have a passion, a vision for your future in any field, todaysmilitary.com can be your path to a fulfilling career. You have a calling, we have an answer. Find your way at todaysmilitary.com. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career I can be proud of and supporting my family. America's veterans are on their most important tour, the tour of their lives. I'm a veteran. My victory was going from homeless to home. At DAV, we're on a mission to help veterans get the benefits they've earned. I'm a veteran, and my victory was finishing my education. DAV offers veterans of all generations a lifetime of support. 
for victories great and small. My victory was proving that disability is not a limitation. My victory was getting my service dog a new best friend. We help more than a million veterans every year as they face and conquer their challenges. My victory is being able to be there for my family. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Standing up for what's right. Helping out when things go wrong. Seeking the truth and speaking our minds. Not just making records, but breaking them. Leading the way behind the camera, beyond the runway, and on the silver screen. Not just making our mark, but making a difference. Now that's a job for a Girl Scout. Girl Scouts, preparing girls for a lifetime of leadership. Are you looking for a way to be creative right now? Have you ever wanted to learn how to watercolor paint? You can now do that from the comfort of your own home with Zoom watercolor classes. Finally, a fun Zoom call to look forward to. Get professional, real-time instruction from nationally showing artist Victoria Elizabeth. She's an artist from the Chicagoland area and has a degree in watercolor painting. These classes are step-by-step, so everything is broken down with easy-to-understand instructions. Our painting subjects are nature scenes, landscapes, botanicals, and more. The benefit of real-time instruction is you get to ask for help whenever you need it. The classes are affordable, too at just $15 a class for two hours of instruction. Visit her website at victoriaelizabethart.com to find out more about these Zoom classes, events, workshops, and more. Again, that website is victoriaelizabethart.com. This is 1590 AM WCGO, Evanston, Chicago. This is iNews. A group of seven leaders are ending their first summit in two years with a punch list of promises, including vaccinating the world against coronavirus, making huge corporations pay their fair share of taxes, and trying to tackle climate change with a blend of technology and plenty of money. They also want to convey that the club of wealthy democracies, Canada, France, Germany, Italy, Japan, the United Kingdom, and the U.S., is a better friend to poorer nations than authoritarian rivals such as China and Russia. Five people have been killed so far and at least 30 others injured in mass shootings in three states over this weekend, soaking concerns that a spike in U.S. gun violence could continue through the summer as coronavirus restrictions ease and more people are free to socialize. The attacks this weekend took place in the Texas capital of Austin, Chicago, and Savannah, Georgia. In Austin, authorities say they've only arrested one of the two male suspects and are still searching for the other. And in Chicago, the suspect is still at large. Reporting for iNews. I'm John Hunt. Pick it up, guys. Pick it up. At Bowes Builders, demand is through the roof. To keep up, his business needs a stronger foundation. Cut the saw, all right? Just one sec. Bowes Builders, this is Bow. This weekend? Yeah, we can do it. Indeed can help him hire the people he needs. I need Indeed. Indeed you do. When you sponsor a job, you immediately get your short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria. Visit Indeed.com slash credit and get $75 towards your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply. It's like I blinked and suddenly all my business shifted to e-commerce. Now my business hours are whenever my customers need me. My customers want everything now and faster than ever. It's a whole different world. Your business is changing. The United States Postal Service is changing with it. We're bringing you fast, reliable shipping nationwide. 
and we're bringing it right when your customers need it. Let's discover new routes. Visit USPS.com slash new routes. The United States Postal Service. Priority you. The IRS has issued almost 167 million payments in the third round of direct stimulus aid, with another 1.8 million people this week in line to receive the $1,400 checks. But some lawmakers are now pushing for a fourth round of stimulus aid that would effectively send recurring payments until the pandemic ends. So far, the federal response to the economic crisis has delivered $3,200 to each eligible adult, $1,200 in March of 2020, $600 in a December relief measure, and $1,400 under the American Rescue Plan signed in March by President Joe Biden. Despite that financial assistance, millions of Americans remain in financial distress, with about 4 in 10 people saying their income remains below its pre-pandemic levels. The Food and Drug Administration is now looking to ban a certain type of cigarettes. And with that story, here's iNews' Nikki Whaley. The FDA wants to ban menthol in cigarettes and all flavors in cigars. Mitch Zeller, director at the FDA Center for Tobacco Products, says communities of color have been targeted by the tobacco industry. When we saw a decline in the last decade of teen use of flavored cigars, the decline only only occurred for white kids, not for black and Hispanic kids. He says almost 90 percent of black smokers smoke menthols, while only 20 percent of white smokers smoke menthols. Zeller adds that the flavor masks the harshness of the tobacco, the smoke and nicotine. Kids who experiment with menthol cigarettes as opposed to a cigarette without menthol are much more likely to progress to regular smoking and are at much greater risk of becoming addicted. If these products are pulled from the shelves, Zeller says hundreds of thousands of lives will be saved. For iNews, I'm Nikki Whaley. The NBA and NHL playoffs continue today. The conference semifinals, Brooklyn at Milwaukee and Phoenix at Denver. In the NHL, it's the New York Islanders at Tampa Bay, Game 1 of the Stanley Cup semifinals. And in the West, it's Montreal and Vegas tomorrow. Reporting for iNews, I'm John Hunt. Good morning, Privates! Good morning, Drill Sergeant! I mean, seriously, what a pleasant morning. The sun is shining and the birds are chirping. You seem to be in a good mood today. Astute observation, Private! Astute! He's probably happy because he found out Honey Nut Cheerios can help lower cholesterol as part of a heart-healthy diet. So, in lieu of the obstacle course today, I propose a nice meditative nature walk. Does that sound delightful to everyone? Yes, Drill Sergeant! Have a change of heart with Honey Nut Cheerios. Learn more about Honey Nut Cheerios by picking up a box at your local store. Are you a business owner looking for funding? Greenbox Capital is here to help by providing easy working capital loans in as little as 24 hours. Visit greenboxcapital.com slash apply now to fill out a short form and get started today. With funding from $3,000 to a half million dollars, Greenbox Capital can help. Visit greenboxcapital.com slash apply now to receive a special offer of 10% off cost of working capital. Greenboxcapital.com slash apply now and get business funding needed without stress from traditional lenders. Greenboxcapital.com slash apply now. Fast funding for small businesses. AncientLifeOil.com. That's AncientLifeOil.com. Are you stressed? I mean, who is it? Anxiety creeping in? No, not that. Is sleep hard to attain because your brain just won't slow down? We're living in crazy times, and the fear knob has been turned up. Okay, there's an answer. Take a big breath, exhale, and go log on to AncientLifeOil.com. CBD. Broad and full-spectrum, organic and non-GMO CBD for you to enjoy. Change your tune from fear to calm, from brain overload to clear thinking. 0.003 THC on full-spectrum and 0% THC on broad-spectrum. Competitive pricing with the best quality. Also know everything is going to get better. No worries. Be happy. 
CBD can help calm so your nerves don't think they're a six-string electric guitar. Enjoy life, smile, and log on to ancientlifeoil.com for great CBD. That's ancientlifeoil.com. You'll be glad you did. Maybe Guatemala is the place now that I'm a good man. I Thank you very much for joining us. Bruce Dumont back. Thank you very much for joining us this evening. And uh, our phone lines open at 1-800-723-8289. 1-800-723-8289. And uh, before the break, uh, Karen Singleman, you seem to be uh, concerned about the way that segment one ended. And I like all my guests to feel uh, comfortable at the end of their two-hour experience. So what was it that uh, was frustrating you the most? And we'll try to move on from that. But Tell us what uh, was on your mind. Oh, I think I made it pretty clear. Um, I have no need to go down that, but the the fact that a guest is allowed to um, just, I don't uh, go on a rant that's just full of falsehoods um, while claiming that I, I, I have no tolerance for that. January 6th has been used and abused in all kinds of ways, and it's been a horrific experience. And hearing somebody pretend to speak the truth when the truth is is so far from every single word that she said, it's it's painful. People are paying a terrible price. And, and the hatred that she continues to spew puts others in harm's way and in great danger right. and and i i really just take absolute exception to that it, it absolute exception that kind of hate calling people who were there i i i really have no it's not an argument i want to get involved in it's, okay just one second Bruce, I'm not. Well, let me i'm going to what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to put to sort of douse this i'm not trying to inflame it but let, let me ask a broader question of each of you, and I want to get reaction from our in-studio guests as well. Uh, I think we heard in that last half hour, we heard an example of the the intense feelings on both the left and right in America. And this country is split in many ways on those lines, and it is split also because of the what transpired on January 6th or what transpired before that that led to uh, the, the voting. So my question to you is, as, as, as people who hopefully want to see Americans be able to get together and not necessarily agree on every issue, that's never going to happen. That would be a boring country if we all agreed. But how do we get back to a point where the level of vitriol perceived to be on both sides by the op- by the opposing side how do we get back to a position where we can take a breath make a statement without necessarily you know throwing flames on on the on the fire or insulting the opposition before you even make your point 
How do we get back to a point where we can have discussions like that? And I'd like to, I'd like the two of you. I'm going to start with you, Julia. Uh, first of all, do you, do you want to return to a kinder, gentler, more civil uh, discussion of politics in America? Is that something you want personally? It's my view that the core wound in the United States goes back to our founding and it can be encapsulated. It's not comprehensive, but it, it's a good marker to say by the three-fifths compromise. And the compromises through the 1850s were similar in nature and they were the same groups compromising over the same reasons. And that what has been revealed in the last four years is that the descendants of the people who wanted to count enslaved people as less than human uh, continue to hold similar views today. The fact that we, that there are people in this country who are emotionally intolerant of hearing academic discussion about the ways in which racism permeates 98% okay. of the systems and structures right, of our country. Julia, Julia, hang on, hang, hang on a second. No, Julia, I do not Julia. want to. I don't think we need to have a, a getting back to civil conversation <laughs> with people who hold abhorrent views and okay. values and then right. lie about it. No. Okay. Well, I'm not I mean, so, so you're, you're, you're not interested in a civil discussion because I asked, I asked you a very, just a minute. I asked you a very simple question about you and your personal view. And you gave me a historic answer, and at the end you threw in a lot of, you know, uh, lightning bolt words, uh, you know, that that's rile up those that oppose to you. So, I mean, you don't want a civil conversation. You like the conversations that no. you had in the last hour no, based on, no, on my I, answer. I, you changed the question. Let me, let me correct you. No, I didn't change the question. I asked you personally, do you want a, do you want a civil uh, community where you can have civil conversations between people who have who have who have very strong differing opinions, and and that was my that was my question. It was a simple question. You didn't give me a simple answer to my question. So, so anybody who thinks that the sixteen nineteen project is false or is hateful is not somebody who I, I mean I, I mean I can't have a I mean I don't know. I mean, it's okay. baseline disagreement on values. And right, I don't know how to Karen, have a country. I don't Karen, know how to share a country with people who feel the 1619 project is false. Karen, back to you. Give us, give us, do you, do you want a, a civil, do you want the ability to have a civil conversation again? I would love a civil conversation. Let me just make two points. Three-fifths compromise was in order for the southern states which had slaves to have less of a sway than they would have if the if the all their yes, it's true, you can shake your head, but that's a fact. Oh, that's if, false. Yeah, Bruce, it's really pointless. It was lovely of you. But and, and by the way, the 1619 project, even she said this is not untrue. It was cast as a project. This was a um, somebody who wrote a magazine piece. This is not a historian. It is full of false history. And I urge anybody and everybody to look into every single point of the 1619 Project and find that it is completely ahistorical, 
There is no data for it. And everybody, every true historian has said so. I want this compromise. I don't even want to go into it. I want, to, I want to. I want to. I want just a second. I want to. I, I want to engage those that are back here in Chicago. So Art Seer, Art Seer, starting with you. Is there a time that you can recall in American history when a divided nation uh, was at each other's throat? Was it the Civil War? Was it after the Civil War, where where people literally were at each other's throats and couldn't even have any? a civil conversation with each other. Uh, Yes, the Civil War was very uncivil, Bruce, and our politics generally tends to be very acrimonious. To try to give you a fairly brief and clear answer, it is a function of leadership. Things were poisonous in the late 40s and into the 50s, anti-communist hysteria. Joe McCarthy personified that in a very real sense, and he was very powerful for a while. Harry Truman ran against the Republican Party and the do i got to stop you because we got to go to a break. Okay, I want right. to come back with our history lesson in just a moment. I'm Bruce Dumont. One, one more back point. Short, no, not one more point. Commercial point. Go ahead. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. A few years ago, Steve Faircow's lungs were failing. I don't think I had more than a couple weeks to live. That's when Steve received a lung transplant made possible by an organ donor. Now Steve can do things he never imagined, like climbing 94 floors to the top of a skyscraper. I never knew that breathing could feel this good. It's an incredible gift. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov, U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hello, I'm Bruce Dumont from Beyond the Beltway. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the broadcast this evening and showing your support of Beyond the Beltway for almost 41 years. Beyond the Beltway is brought to you in part by the Gab Radio Network. If you have production needs, a podcast, or are interested in hosting your own program, reach out to the Gab Radio Network. You can call them now at 847-292-2721 or get in touch under the Learn More tab on their website at gabradionetwork.com. Ask for Dennis Green and tell them Bruce Dubon sent you. Thank you again for listening tonight to Beyond the Beltway and the Gab Radio Network, radio that inspires. Bruce Dumont back and uh, Chris Ferronis, I want to ask you uh, the question about... Uh, Civility. I mean, you, you've heard the, the, the tension on the air this evening. Is there a way for sides like we have heard this evening to get back together? Um, well, I, I'm someone who uh, is, uh, uh, I'm a man of the right. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I can remember kind of finding uh, conservatism by reading National Review. And I like to think I've got several opinions that are um, I feel strongly about. At the same time, I kind of think, I I take it as an obligation on me um, to seek to understand, uh, to not assume the worst of another person because they disagree with me. 
um, to ask questions because as a communications professional, I'm kind of big on the notion that probably half of all genuine disagreements, quote unquote, are just the result of miscommunication, uh, misinterpretation. The noise affects dialogue in more ways than we care to understand. So I, I just think if anyone's going to go into a contentious argument, um, the obligation is on you to cut through the noise and kind of get to the nut of it. It's crucial. People don't do it very well. Um, it takes practice. And um, by the way, this isn't the first time we've had controversial moments in America. Um, mm-hmm. The system is we have a pluralistic system where many different points of view can exist at the same time. And uh, the framers intended it that way, and it's worked pretty well. The problem is, is when you don't have agreement on the fundamentals, you don't have a nation. And Mm -hmm. I I think that's very, very troublesome. That's very worrisome. It's the thing that kind of keeps me up at night where I was having a discussion with someone about immigration. I'm someone who's the son of immigrants. I'm generally for immigration. I do believe that there's some restrictionist measures that are pretty important. And uh, I very innocuously talked about the need for assimilation, and I was branded a racist. And I thought that was outrageous. Pretty silly to think that um, assimilating into one culture, um, and which doesn't preempt anyone's past, that's, that's somehow racist. That's where we are today. Um, I, I think we can move on, kind of get past this moment. It's going to take some time, though. Julia, do you think the use of the term uh, racist or um, anti-Semite or uh, right-wing kook or Hitler supporter or anything that has a charge to it uh, in a verbal way, uh, does the use of that term, does it still have a sting? And if so, how do we take the sting out of that word and have... And, and have it lead to some form of discussion and understanding? Or, or once you use the word, have you basically cast your lot as to where you're coming from? Racist and racism are extremely um, inflammatory words. There's no yes, doubt about that. Absolutely. Um, they're very much so. And, um, you know, Ibrahim X. Kende asserts that we should always use the word and we shouldn't shy away from the word because of the fact that it's inflammatory because it's naming a thing. I am not sure that I agree with him. Um, I simply want to acknowledge the black, the, the thought leadership from black writers on there on, and bring that into the conversation since all of us in this conversation happen to be white. At least we appear to be, I don't want to make assumptions, but we appear to all be white. Um, I, it's not, typically helpful to accuse somebody of being racist. It is difficult enough to have a conversation about systemic racism or about institutionalized oppression without wagging, without accusing a person in the conversation of being a racist. Do you think that's a word that has been overused by Democrats, progressives, or the left in trying to engage conversation, uh, let's just say since the George Floyd incident? I mean, overused compared to what? (laughs) 
you know, um, uh, as Chris was saying, sure, we've had contentious moments before and we've, we've kind of gotten through it. But by the same token, um, in our past, we've always gotten through it by leaving African-Americans on the bottom. Um, you know, it's and so this is, I would assert, the first time in our history that we are or it's the most serious a attempt that we are making in the course of our history to overturn our original sin. And it's, it's catastrophic, it's transformative, you, it's chaotic. It's, there's a lot of stuff, there's a lot of stuff getting heated. Do you agree, uh, do you agree Karen, that this is a unique time in, uh, in, in the discussion of, of race uh, in the wake of George Floyd that uh, uh, the term racism uh, has been uh, used and abused and thrown around so much that maybe the word doesn't mean much anymore? Or, or, is, it a, or is it a word that scares the hell out of everybody? I think during the Obama era, it really rose to the fore um, that anybody who didn't like Obama for any reason was branded a racist. And it took off from there. And let me not forget, Julia called me a racist not that long ago in this very conversation. Right. So for her to, you know, say anything about how it shouldn't be used is kind of. Let me make a correction. Ironic. No, let let's, let's, no, you, I, no, I you had your statement about the 1619 project was a racist statement. That anybody who okay. believes blah, blah, blah is a racist. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I heard I that. heard you. I did not say that. I, bet Karen, I said Karen, your statement about the 1619 project Karen, was a racist okay. statement. I, Karen's I'm got so, the floor. Karen's got the floor. so ridiculous. And Karen's let me just also point out that the, her contention that never before, that any time we got through it was by leaving blacks on the bottom or putting them on the bottom. I'm sorry. I seem to remember this thing called the Civil War that was in large part about ending slavery. So I don't get that fake historical reference in the slightest. I, is, has the word been over? I think, again, during the Obama era, which, by the way, without Obama, we would have not gotten Trump. Trump was an absolute direct consequence of the Obama era. During the Obama era, everyone was tossing the word around so that it did make light of something very serious. Racism is a very real thing. And when you start throwing it around willy-nilly, oh, you didn't like Obamacare, you must be a racist. Oh, this, you must be a racist, You, whatever. It does diminish it, just as calling everything the Holocaust diminishes the Holocaust, just as causing Trump or anybody who supports Trump being a Nazi or just like Hitler um, diminishes those extremely serious things, too. And I loathe the use of the word for that reason. Racism should be specifically about those people who discriminate based on race and and people who object to the 1619 Project object to it not because of racism, but because of truth and historic uh, and, and the historic, ahistoric nature of it. So this idea that anybody who disagrees with you, Bruce, as you said, is, is called a racist, we have to get move away from that because it diminishes very real racism. And it and it is it just becomes a meaningless word, which it should not be, because it's a meaningful word. Okay. We're gonna take a phone call right now. Let's go to Mark listening to us in Carmel, California, by the sea. Go ahead, Mark. Are you there? 
Line one, are you there? Going once. Mark, are you there? Mark is not there. How about uh, Dave in Spokane? Are you there? Well, Dave is not there. I was told we get two phone calls on the line, but we don't. Uh, Kevin, anybody uh, out there on those lines? One or three? Okay, they're on the board, but we can't, uh, somehow we can't get them on the phone. Hmm. Okay. Uh, we're going to work on it, and then we'll, we'll we'll come back. But, Art, let me go back to you. Uh, is Can you give us any historical perspective on the use of racism for a political purpose in the wake of the Civil War? I mean, are there periods of time where we've had similar periods in our history where where racism has been an issue or one particular party has used it as a as a as a weapon against another political party for political gain has that happened before yes Bruce it has happened before in Tell us. 1876 a closely contested very intense very corrupt election by the standards of today as they were back then Tilden and Hayes Rutherford B Hayes became the Republican president with the understanding that federal troops would be withdrawn from the South, Jim Crow institutionalized racism, which we do not have today and have not had for many years, went back into place. No, the history of this country is one of steady progress, I believe, and thank you for asking. Who was Jim Crow? Uh, Jim Crow is a personification of segregation. Okay, so it was not a specific person by the name of Jim Crow. You're going beyond what I know historically. No, I don't think so. I think it was a caricature of a scarecrow. Okay. Chris, do you want to add anything to that? It didn't happen in your lifetime. <laughs> I'm Bruce Dumont, back <laughs> shortly from Chicago. Well, we're going to a break right now, Kevin. <laughs> use opioids to manage pain. Pain can be unrelenting, overwhelming, and all-consuming. So why do so many of us try to manage pain only from the palm of our hands? Doctor-prescribed opioids are appropriate in some cases, but they just mask the pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. And by increasing physical activity, you can also reduce your risk of other chronic diseases. Pain is personal, but treating pain takes teamwork. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose more movement and better health. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. This message is brought to you by the American Physical Therapy Association. Hello, I'm Bruce Dumont from Beyond the Beltway. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the broadcast this evening and showing your support of Beyond the Beltway for almost 41 years. 
Beyond the Beltway is brought to you in part by the Gab Radio Network. If you have production needs, a podcast, or are interested in hosting your own program, reach out to the Gab Radio Network. You can call them now at 847-292-2721 or get in touch under the Learn More tab on their website at gabradionetwork.com. Ask for Dennis Green and tell them Bruce Dubon sent you. Thank you again for listening tonight to Beyond the Beltway and the Gab Radio Network, radio that inspires. Bruce Dumont back on Beyond the Beltway. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, uh, Chris Veronis, you wanted to make a comment kind of summarizing uh, our discussion of racism and the use of it uh, as a political weapon. Um, it's an important discussion that we have to have. Um, I, I, I tend to be one of these people who, who thinks that um, the tough issues tempers the nation. And... Um, um, you know, we, we've kind of seen trials before, so this is, in some ways, this is unremarkable, although that's not to shortchange the fact that these are very, very divisive issues. I also happen to think that um, it doesn't help when we don't have a clear understanding of what racism is. You, there used to be a day when the conventional understanding was that uh, racism is one race um, sees itself as inherently superior to another. Well, that is these days is uh, you'd be a racist to, 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 mm-hmm. to believe that that definition. Now, now we've got this weird understanding of racism without racists. It's the system. It's the system that's racist and you benefit from it. And because you benefit from it, you by, you by definition are racist. So, and the prescription is some kind of pernicious, endless deprogramming that race hustlers uh, institute um, and get paid $30,000 to do it. And incidentally, the New York Times, which published the 1619 Project, also criticized the, 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 the usefulness of such deprogramming regimes. So, I mean, we, we need to get to a better place. I think Chloe Valdery is a really good example. She's a diversity uh, guru, new on the scene. Um, hers is very much an inclusive way to look at diversity, inclusion, and equity. I would encourage your listeners to check her out. There's an excellent article in The Atlantic about her and her program, which is catching momentum. Give the name again. Chloe Valdery. And um, very young, very insightful. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's something that people can get behind because it's constructive. It doesn't reduce people to abstractions. Which, by the way, the irony is um, the same people who, who condemn uh, racial resentment and division are perpetuating it on the other end. And so mm-hmm. I, I, you, you, that's not sustainable. That is not sustainable. And we, we've got to go to a third way on this. Do you agree with that, uh, Julia, that there needs to be a third way? It's a, it's a, it's a deeply entrenched problem. Um, what I would agree with Chris in what he just said is that um, the is that a, a lot of people who um, react badly to having the the word assigned to them and that it's not useful. As I said before, um, 
I, and also, it's it's true that some, uh, I'll say, DIE training, diversity, inclusion, and equity training, isn't helpful. That's true. Um, and I believe that was the nature of the New York Times' uh, remarks upon that. However, it doesn't mean that DIE, DIE initiatives aren't worthwhile because some of them do work. Some of them in some settings with some people at some points in time do work and it's very important work and we should keep trying even though it sometimes doesn't work. Um, yeah. Karen, your reaction? You know, I'm a huge fan of Dr. Martin Luther King not judging people according to the color of their skin, but the content of their character. And I don't know how we got so far away from that. These days, everything is about race or LGBT, the various letters of the alphabet. But generally speaking, once you start looking at everything through the prism of race, everyone becomes racist. There's no way past it. And kids these days are taught racism under the guise of DEI, DIE, whatever. I'm doing research on, on schools in the LA area and every single one of them has front and center DEI or they call it DEI, you call it DIE, whatever, it doesn't matter. Putting race issues front and center. I, to me, that's the utmost in divisiveness. Part two is just for example, when we encourage kids to do homework, we want all kids to do homework. When such a thing is called racist, when you're not allowed to do that kind of thing because it's racist, when certain communities discourage behaviors that have been known to contribute to success, but calling them white and therefore discouraging kids of whatever other demographic, from doing that because it's behaving white. I think that's immensely destructive. When the, um, I don't remember what museum it was in Washington DC that had a whole list of things that were white that we should avoid. And it's things like being on time. Uh, um, just a whole family. long list that was absolutely astounding that does nothing to lift anybody up. And and it's it was one of the most racist things I've ever seen. So it's stereotyping while trying to not stereotype. It's a cognitive dissonance that, that makes no sense. Why can't we just say these are good things and everybody, you know, if, if is we the discussion these things instead of everything is through the prism of, of race. Is the discussion, so this divisive. for Chris Veronis, is the discussion of race and racism is it indigenously coming from the African-American communities of the country, or is it coming from white liberals? Where, where is this push coming oh, from? Absolutely. I, I would say okay, go ahead. white liberals. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And when, when an African-American, you mentioned Chloe, who I adore, by the way. I've known her for years and years. Somebody like Candace Owens, who is black, isn't allowed to be, she's, she's shunned by the black community because she's a conservative. Clarence Thomas, shunned by the black community because he's a conservative, on and on and on and on. Color is not the issue in, in all of these cases, it is ideology. So it's absolutely, and I would also ask 
to what extent has Black Lives Matter ever actually done anything in support, literally in support of the black communities? Julia, do you have an answer to that? cities down. Do you have an answer they to don't. that? They don't. So it's not helpful. You had said $30,000. It's it's in the millions of dollars. And they they are black, but it is, it's the Democrat Party that is giving cover to these people who want, and I don't mean race, the, to the organizations who don't seek to elevate, but only to divide, to divide all of us. All right, and let's go to Julia for the response to that. Uh, on the question of white liberals, is this is this really a is this a cause celeb for white liberals more than real true black Americans? <laughs> I mean, that's honestly the most absurd thing I've ever heard. Um, most activists, African American activists, have been expressing um, delighted surprise at how the activism of the last two to five years has been fairly diverse because the activism mm -hmm. for equality between the black and white in this country has been dominated throughout our history by black folks fighting for their rights and white folks kind of ignoring it and hoping that it would go away. And as far as has Black Lives Matter ever done anything for the black community, for, for, for starters, they were, Cori Bush is in Congress. That's a pretty big accomplishment for the black community, largely due to Black Lives Matter. There's also the Black Empowerment Lab, which one is, is one of the biggest research arms uh, studying what black America, it's black people studying black people in order to inform politicians about what black folks actually want. I mean, and it's, and it's more and it's division, all, more division. Well, the more fact division. that white people feel uncomfortable by being uh, asked to consider the sins of our forefathers, that may, okay, if that's what you call divisive, okay, but that doesn't mean it's bad. I mean, white people need to confront the abuses and the injustices that we white people have inflicted systemically on everybody in this country throughout our history. And if that is something that makes white school kids feel shame or feel bad, well, then those white kids need to do some emotional work and deal with that. It doesn't mean that we get to keep pretending that systemic racism doesn't exist. Uh, Chris Veronis. There is an there is an unhealthy portion of the racial dialogue these days that is uh, purely performative. There is white liberals um, merely want to be uh, seen uh, to be on the right side of history. Um, now that's and, not and, true. And, and and they will they'll do these silly meaningless gestures like keep like a racial sin log that Imbram X. Kendi uh, advises uh, white liberals to do, and they'll make it known. Um, and, and to them, that's, quote-unquote, doing the work, as opposed to, like, let's say, mentoring uh, a minority child, which, uh, you know, by that same standard would be seen as racist if, like, a white person did that. And so that, that's sort of the insanity that is the current construction of, of, of the racial dialogue. Um, it, if Ibram X. Kendi were to define it, uh, you can't have progress like that. If if racial progress um, boils down to an academic undertaking, where where you're where you're just you're just you're just buying and trading, you're you're buying and selling in these abstract terms that are meaningless and useless. So I think that there, I, I will agree with you that there are some people who engage in the things you described performatively. However, there are a large number of white people who were genuinely 
awakened over the last year and a half and who are uh, enthusiastically, and I'll say it again, genuinely interested in doing a self-inquiry to the extent that they can about their own uh, racial biases and implicit and, and, and the, the things they were raised with that they didn't even know. So I don't think that it's fair to lump those together. There uh, are some who do it disingenuously, back, but there are more ba- who do it we're coming with back, great fervor uh, and, and, with a and comment uh, from good Karen intention. In a moment, back shortly. We are strong, we are resilient, and we will get through this together. But these are stressful times, and it's important to also practice good self-care. It's normal to feel overwhelmed, anxious, or afraid, but there is hope. Reach out to someone, connect with your friends, stay in touch with your community, and know that you are not alone. Learn more at wearebroadcasters.com hope. Furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. Chris Domine is a husband, father, an athlete, even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris's kidneys were failing. The doctor said, if you don't get a kidney transplant, you are going to die. Chris received a second chance, made possible by an organ donor. Your well-being changes from loss of hope to better times ahead. What could you make possible as an organ, eye, and tissue donor? Leave behind the gift of life. Go to organdonor.gov. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hello, I'm Bruce Dumont from Beyond the Beltway. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for listening to the broadcast this evening and showing your support of Beyond the Beltway for almost 41 years. Beyond the Beltway is brought to you in part by the Gab Radio Network. If you have production needs, a podcast, or are interested in hosting your own program, reach out to the Gab Radio Network. You can call them now at 847 292 2721 or get in touch under the learn more tab on their website at gabradionetwork.com ask for dennis green and tell them bruce dubon sent you thank you again for listening tonight to beyond the beltway and the gab radio network radio that inspires bruce dumont back we continue with our last segment let's go try our phones again let's go to mark are you listening in carmel california if you are speak up Are you there? Mark? Are you there, David, in Spokane, Washington? Ed, are you there in Chicago? Yes, I am. Can you hear me? Hello, go ahead. You sound like you're in a potato chip here. Okay, we're going to give up. We're going to give up on phones tonight. Uh, Thanks. Thanks, thanks, Mr. Rich. Uh, Karen Singleman, you wanted to make a comment uh, before the break. I think. Did I? I, well, I, okay. <laughs> I just, just how all the, the I, I don't think it was me. But, okay. But the lens of racism is, is not helpful. Let me ask you this question. Uh, and again, we've had a very combustible show this evening. At least two of our four guests have been very combative. Is, is this a healthy exercise or not? Karen, I'll start with you. Is this, Being com- I mean, the discussion, the show that we did tonight was it constructive? Did you think it was constructive? Or when you discuss race, at least on talk radio and on the Internet, it becomes uh, more of a theatrical discussion than a real discussion. Or you get I into think... personalities between you and Julia and, and uh, you know, disagreements over some uh, 
your interpretation of facts as you see them? I think um, it's really, it's utility is how much it reveals how gargantuan the chasm is. Mm -hmm. Not only can we not agree on what happened January 6th or what happened this morning or probably what we each ate for breakfast, but the very founding of the country, meaning of racism, everything. Mm -hmm. The chasm is gargantuan and it's revealed in absolutely every aspect of our lives. Julia believes in original sin. I don't think I'm saying anything she wouldn't agree with. Um, I don't at, at all. Were we perfect? Not in the slightest, but as either Chris or Art noted, it has been a trajectory, sometimes fabulous, sometimes flawed, in a very positive forward motion as to getting rid of conditions that existed in this country at its birth and conditions, I might add, that existed around the world. But we actually fought a war to eliminate it. And we did political maneuvering such as the three-fifths compromise as a step against it. So what I think events like tonight, the combativeness, reveal how far we have come. The bifurcation, we're just getting farther and farther away. I think the media is hugely um, major contributing factor, not the least of which is the New York Times, including their 1619 project, not the least of which is our education system, which is now including Black Lives Matter and critical race theory in their curricula, not the least of which, I mean, it, it's on and on. So it's very, very deep. We're many generations into it. And it scares me how <clears throat> fractured we are. It scares me, especially the hate that I feel, um, that I don't feel, that I feel in my direction when the day after, or even the January 6th to be called a domestic terrorist. I think that's hugely destructive um, and and scary. And okay. and that is where violence is incited. Right. Let me go to Julia now and ask, you, from where we let me ask you the same today. question, Julia. Uh, it's been a combative conversation this evening. Has this been a plus or a minus for understanding of two very differing sides? Have we done I mean, a I service think, or not? I, I mean, I, I guess you'd, I, I guess you'd have to ask your listeners to see if anybody who was listening um, had any moments of enlightenment or increased understanding. Um, mm -hmm. I feel quite certain that Karen does not feel that she learned anything from me, nor do I feel like I learned anything from her. I will agree wholeheartedly with most of what she just said, actually, that yes, there is a vast chasm. Um, I'm not sure that it is terrible that there is as much illumination on the chasm as we now have, because the chasm has been there and we just have been pretending that it wasn't. Um, so as divisive, as hard, as uh, chaotic as this is, um, as much as it's causing, um, you know, members of the extreme far right to begin to engage in violence. Um, of course, Karen thinks that it's <laughs> there coming we from go again. Matter, but that's false. There you go again. Uh, I mean, it's also factually accurate that the members so most of the guns that are owned in this country are owned by people who espouse far right. Bruce, honestly, you know, so, more more lies. I just, mm. I, this, this, 
Um, and I do think, Bruce, that it would be helpful. I don't know how you could do it, but I do think because of, I mean, there these obviously a, 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 an impassable chasm between what I feel is truth and what Karen feels is truth. If it were possible, it would be good if you but had you, but, a like live but ticker Julia, tape fact checker. But Julia, you know? would you would you understand that your use of language and the and the words you choose to articulate? Hmm sometimes are uh, evocative of, uh, of of reaction or overreaction from someone that disagrees with you. In other words, you you, you Give have an example? You, you have you have a lot of you have a lot of loaded words uh, when Give when you are articulating. Well, like when you call someone a, a racist as, as one example. example. Well I mean okay so that's on just that one, one example. I clarified that I, I, I will concede that point. How about that? Is there are there okay. any other words that you think that I've used that have been that have been loaded? Uh, I've, I've, there, I've, I've tried to avoid them, frankly. So if okay. I have, then I'd appreciate there, the there feedback. There have been a few. I don't. I, I, I don't recall them right at the moment. But I think as 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 I rethink this program, yes, I think there's been several that have been used. And and what I'm just saying is that uh, th- this is part of people who really enjoy the game of politics. I want to ask one last question about Karen because Karen, again, for longtime listeners of this program, they knew you were vehemently opposed to Donald Trump when he ran for president. Then you became a huge fan of Donald Trump's. My question now is, as you look forward to 2024, uh, with all of the uh, ammunition that the Democrats and the media may have about July or January 6th, do you think it would be good for Donald Trump to acknowledge that he was, in your view, a great president, step aside and let someone else take the reins or you will be fighting a, a race in 2024 that will be uh, looking in the rearview mirror. I need a 15 second answer. Do you want him to run or not? Um, I, it, for me, it's too early to say I was, um, I'm very interested in hearing, seeing how the whole thing plays out from here. Okay. On that I'm, note, we've got to say farewell. Thanks very much, Karen and Julia and Art Seer and Chris Veronis. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, Kevin Lane has been our engineer. Good night, everybody. Thanks, Bruce. Good night. I hope he does. Night, Bruce. Good night.